welcome to Bickering Peaks with your hosts, Aiden and Lindsay. Have you ever been in a pageant? No. Have you ever been in a pageant? Never. Not even once? Not even once. You were a dancer. I was in a dance competition and there was a lot of pirouetting this episode, so... Yeah, I think Me you're the Lucy. closest to the Miss Twin Peaks of the two of us. I'll take that as a compliment, even you though should. I don't think it was intended as one. It absolutely was. Okay. Well, then, compliment accepted. Thank you, Lindsay. Fantastic. Um, we are here to talk about episode 21 of season two, Miss Twin yes. Peaks. Yes, Uh It is the second to last episode. It was originally, well, you can give us the details, but it was originally part of a two-parter. So that's why this episode is going to be released at the same time as the next one. Yes. As it was done on television yes so after a couple of couple of months almost almost a full two months i think or maybe even more than two months um abc brought back the final two episodes of twin peaks and aired them back to back as a kind of movie finale yeah uh for the for the series yeah uh, as it was at the time yes now of course it's just season two finale yeah yeah uh, so this is part one of that. And Although they were not filmed as one. They were not, no. And it's quite evident that yes. this episode is very different in tone and flair, which is to say there isn't any flair. Yes, this is devoid of all. Which is interesting to me because Tim Hunter, who directed this episode, is well known as a director of Twin Peaks episodes, regarded as one of the better of the Twin Peaks directors after David Lynch. And he chose to make this, I, I think on purpose, I was reading in John Thorne's book, it was it was a deliberate choice to make it kind of... Um, Kitschy almost? No, like, like just devoid of of anything that, that would be considered flair. Okay. Bland? <laughs> yes, blandness is... <laughs> I, yes. I wanted to avoid sounding derogatory, but bland is probably a good yeah. word. It's just shot very Simply, straight on. Yeah it's, yeah, it's simple and yeah, straightforward yeah. is a good word. Which is it. fine. Um, it gets the story across. It's a. It's. But it, it's it, just. It, yeah. I think what we discuss. What we discussed after the episode. Uh, after we watched the episode, it feels like such a departure from the previous episode. Yes. Which and we felt was really yeah amping quite up. strong yeah and yeah. And then the the following episode, which is the great finale episode, um, is also like you know yeah. one of the best episodes, if not the greatest episode of Twin Peaks, yeah. right? So this and one's this kind one, of sandwiched in the middle, and yeah. it's it doesn't feel like either. It's like the bad Oreo filling. Yeah, like when they make like I don't, I don't know, know what's a bad what's Oreo a, flavor. Is there it is bad? there isn't. No, no that no. was a terrible. That was a terrible metaphor choice. It's like it? it's like the Girl Guy cookies with the mint in the middle. You take it back right now. <laughs> I love those mint cookies. <laughs> You're the only one. Me and millions of Americans. Room. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, it was directed by Tim Hunter. It was written by Barry Pullman. It aired on June 10th, 1991, as we mentioned uh, as part one of the two part finale. And it was set on Saturday, March 25th, 1989. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, that was also Easter weekend. Okay. There's no references to Easter, Easter at all. At all. But I really think that they'd kind of forgotten when they were yeah. in any of this. Yeah, it would just it had gone on. The things had happened. Time had moved, but they hadn't been keeping track. 
I don't think so. No. Certainly not with, you know, as we mentioned, the... the uh, Precision that the fans have kept time with afterwards? Well, no, I, no. Um, the, uh, see, we can't finish each, finish each other's sandwiches. sandwiches. It's, we're terrible at this. Except for that part. That, that part was, was really pretty great. good, yeah. Um, the compressed timeline of the relationships that happened oh, yes. and the Miss Twin Peaks pageant, like, coming out of nowhere and then all of a sudden it's in full it's there, swing. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of... But whatever. We we do keep track. Yes, the fans do. Yes, we do. Um, Sorry, just a quick comment. Barry yeah. Pullman, not related to Bill Pullman. Yeah, we put that in the notes of the just, last If episode. you were just listening and you didn't get the notes, I wanted to clarify my yep. earlier case... Well, they had not, to be related it's just not because that, that's the that only Pullman we, I know. It's not that they aren't absolutely not related. It's just that, you know... Distant cousins. Maybe they're <sighs> twins, too. How can you be twins with your cousin? Especially just, if you're distant. <laughs> that makes no sense. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yes, we should. Okay, so we have the German title, which was not taken directly into the English title this time the German title is well as we're gonna see or hear right away is not Miss Twin Peaks what is it Lindsay let, let me let me read again so in German it is perhaps Die Nacht in Scheindun shut up now let's listen to the real one Die Nacht der Entscheidung so that that yeah and that literally translates as the night of decision mm-hmm. which is close and actually probably a better title because all the things that happened in this episode, Miss Twin Peaks is probably one of the lowest points in, in all of Twin yeah, Peaks. Yeah, because clearly the decision that we need to talk about is Lucy's. So, you know. Yeah. And also who <laughs> Wyndham Earl is going to kidnap at the oh, end of well, the episode. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean. Kind of a big, important deal. But, but you that know, was related yeah. to the Miss Twin Peaks thing. Yeah, but it shouldn't have been. All Anyways, the decisions, are all Ms. the Twin deciding <laughs> happen at the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. That's true. That's true. But anyway, the episode was translated into English as Miss Twin Peaks, and uh, that's the last we'll say of it, because the episode titles are really bad. Yep, and we don't need to talk about them anymore. I can't believe that we still do this. I can't believe we didn't start doing this from the beginning. We did. No. Oh, you mean the German stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, we didn't do that from the beginning. Yeah, but we should have. In any case, Log Lady. The Log Lady. Let's get started with that. Yeah. Uh, So she talks about logs. The log lady speaks of logs yes, today. Yes, she holds up her log. Yes. And she talks about how a log is a portion of a tree. And how the end of the the end of a log, if you cross cut it, you can see that the it represents a it it represents the life of the tree. And each ring represents a year. No. Um it takes a long time to grow a tree, she says. And then she talks about how if you'll notice, her fireplace is boarded up. Yeah. And then the camera pans over to her fireplace. And she talks about how there's... There's the ashes of her husband yes, are on the mantle. on the mantle the above the fireplace. Yeah. And then the camera focuses back on her. And she says that her log, she can hear her log. Yeah. And that... Her, her log, log, in turn, can hear things that she cannot. Yes. But that her log will tell her things. Yes. New words. It is aware... And even though it is no longer alive, it grows. It grows, which is as much information as we've gotten about the log the entire yes. show. And it's it's kind of... Cryptic? Yeah. Well, big surprise coming yeah. from the log lady. Um, but I mean, it's it's interesting because this is, yeah, this is the one chance she, where she actually describes kind of her relationship to the log. Kind of goes with what we'd already assumed, which is that she hears the log and it's saying something that nobody else can hear, which is... You know, basically what it's done throughout the series. Yeah. But this just kind of solidifies it. It's, yeah, 
it's the log lady. Yeah. That's that's all there is, I that's think. That's all there is. So first scene of the episode proper, uh, Leo and Major Briggs are shackled in Wyndham Earl's cabin. And we get this long stayed scene yeah. of Leo struggling. He's trying to, he reaches, he successfully reaches uh, Wyndham's desk or a table yeah, of some sort. With a drawer in it. Yes. He opens the drawer, pulls out something, a assume key. a key, uh, and he tries to unlock himself, realizes that's not what the key's for, and that it is for Major Briggs's shackles. Yep. And so he successfully unlocks Major Briggs, who's still in quite a daze. Yeah, totally he seems completely out of it. And uh, But Leo releases him with the... The plea to yes. save Shelly. Save Shelly. Save Shelly is what Leo says. So it's kind of what we suspected for the last few episodes. Ever since, I think, the first morning, I guess, that Leo woke up in Wyndham's cabin, he seemed kind of concerned about something. Something wasn't right. Yes. And and once he realized that Shelly was a target, and then the last episode realizing that he, you know, Wyndham Earl intends to kill Shelly if she wins... Um, is Leo reformed? Is he really, you know, no. does he love her or does he just want to be the one to kill her? <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that, that would also fit with the mm-hmm. available data. Um, but yeah, so he, uh, Briggs does leave yeah. Yeah, again in a daze. Um, and basically the Earl. It, or, it's, I don't yeah. think Wyndham Earl comes back immediately. But it's fairly, but it's, well, it's. It, a period of time must have passed, but the very next scene is him returning to the cabin yeah. and admonishing Leo and decides he's done with Leo. Leo has served his function, and whether it's because he... I think I think he already planned all along that this was the end of the line. Leo was was no longer of use to him because he's he's got a um, punishment, I guess, with him in a bag, mm-hmm. wriggling something, wriggling yeah. in a bag. Yeah. Um, which we don't know what it is, but I think whether or not the major was there when he returned, he was he was going to be doing something with Leo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then yes, so so he the, it's shot. This is an interesting shot because mm. um, Winnemarle is holding the bag in front of his face, yes, obscuring his own face, right? And then when and and the camera is in Leo's point of view, yes, and. Uh, when he pulls the bag away, we see... Uh, Wyndham Earl in a ghastly set of makeup. Yeah. Literally, he looks like a ghost. Um, or some other sort of perfect Demon. creature. Yeah. Uh, it's all like a, a pale, pale white uh, powder on his face, but his teeth are all black. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because this is the only time he appears like this right. in the whole show. Um, but it is reminiscent of later imagery that we'll see uh, of... Well, we won't get into it this episode, but it does kind of come back in uh, Fire Walk With Me. Right. Uh, There is also mouths that are different colors, Mm -hmm. darker colors, and faces that are are painted pale. Um, And it's usually a sign of an evil harbinger. But it's it's odd here because it is very scary. Like, he just, he has no teeth, basically, and, and he looks just terrifying. But then he's kind of back to normal the next time we see him. So right, it's it's kind of an odd. Well, and I mean, there's a lot of speculation about what that means. Is it you know a sign of when your teeth are rotten and they're you know it's it's a sign of decay. It's it's a pretty advanced decay when your teeth get to that. If yeah. that were you know a natural thing, so yeah. is it is it metaphorical? 
that he's rotted inside. That he's rotted of. on the inside, maybe. Maybe. Or um, it's pretty clear about that beforehand, but okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No. I, I, and I mean, he's gone out into the woods. He's he's searching for the Black Lodge. Um, is it possible that he had his own encounter with the Lodge denizen? Yeah. Right. And uh, and is now you know infected, and that's what, how that kind of manifests itself. Um, because that certainly bears out in, in Fire Walk With Me. That seems to be, I mean, there's no real consensus, but that seems to be what it means when, yeah. when characters appear in, I guess, white face yeah. <laughs> with, the, yeah. with the blacked out teeth. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is scary, though. If you're not yeah. expecting it, I remember the first time jumping pretty yeah. intensely yeah. when that happened. For sure. but, um, but anyway, that they, yeah, Windermere says goodbye to Leo, basically, and... Uh, that's it. And that's it. Yeah. And we move on. We do. We, to uh, the double R. To the double R, yeah. And um, and Norma is prepping pies yes. for the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. Yes. She says it's going to be a big day for the double R. Yes. Um, Presumably they are the a, a sponsor yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, and everyone goes back to the double R afterwards. for Sure. Maybe for maybe the winner and the first two runners up get pies. She has three pies. Yeah, she has three pies. Set her, yeah. I, I don't know. Who it's knows? Not, it's not. But the clear. more important thing that we learn is that Norma was the winner of the inaugural yes, Miss Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks twenty years earlier. Twenty years earlier. And uh, Shelley and Annie are giving her a little bit of a hard time, but yeah. also, also maybe you know, trying to get the judge on side because, right. and they say as much like, uh, "Who are you going to pick? Yeah, Who are exactly. you going to vote for?" Yeah, and and that's it. That's the whole scene. Yeah. It's kind of a kind of a throwaway thing, except for to say that Norma was the winner twenty yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, and then we move on again mm-hmm. uh, to Audrey at. Uh, the Great, Great Northern, Northern yeah. uh, where she's in front of the, the fireplace. Right, Ben's wearing, a, wearing a very 1940s, you know, voluptuous dress. red dress. Yeah, yeah, very red dress. Yeah, and uh, and then seated, seated in front of the fire like that. Um, and we kind of view her through, through the door of Ben's office. Yeah. And... Uh, it's it's an interesting way for the shot to be framed, and then for her, I mean, we know from the last episode that she, you know, presumably lost her virginity, but she's missing Jack, who yeah. left yeah. Um, at to, the end of yeah, yeah to, to deal with his Brazil partner's problems. issue in yeah. Brazil, and um, so she, you know, it's it's kind of a, I don't know, when you sit next to a fire and. <laughs> kind of drown your sorrows though she's not drinking anything yeah, but it's but it's one of those things you stare at the fire and yeah. you are wistful and yes um it's a bit of a different audrey than yeah than uh, but it fits with what it does exactly seen. what happened so so ben does walk in yeah. um and he has the religious texts of the world yeah in his he's got the bhagavad-gita he's got the talmud the he's Quran, got the, the Quran, the yeah the Tao Te Ching and everything yeah so it's he's <laughs> studying it, world religion exactly he's gonna find the good in the world because yeah. it's in those books somewhere yeah, yeah. Uh, and then he kind of haphazardly realizes that she's missing JJW yeah and um and she goes on and says like oh, I hope it doesn't hurt this bad in a week she kind of confides in him a little bit yeah um and Ben gives the timeless advice the time heals all wounds right um and she's like yeah okay Maybe and which then, which we know is not true because clearly Ben is still carrying a major torch for Elaine or for Eileen <laughs> Hayward. So time does not heal all wounds yeah. in all, you know, in equal measure. Yes, especially Ben Horn. Yes, yes. But anyway, uh, Audrey changes the subject and starts to prattle on about the uh, the reason she left for Seattle for Seattle. Yes, with the investors and everything um, a few episodes ago. So. 
she says that what she learned is that the Packards are funneling money to the Ghostwood development yes. through mm. the savings and loan. Yeah. And Ben decides that this is the perfect oh, opportunity yes. once again, the morning of the pageant, to convince Audrey to enter it. Yes. Uh, to, yeah, in order to, you know, give bad publicity to the savings and loan eventually yeah. is kind of where they're going. But to also give that, you know, rousing speech yes. about saving the planet, yeah. saving Ghostwood. Um, yeah, she's going to be the spokesperson for the Stop Ghostwood campaign. And yeah. she still doesn't seem convinced. No, not even a little bit. But no. she is going to... Although, does she appear in any of, like, the dance numbers? She doesn't, but okay. we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Sorry, one other thing in that scene. Yeah. Uh, uh, Audrey admits that she and John Justice Wheeler barely knew each other. Yes. Scene, yes. Which was, was very reassuring to us because we're like, yeah, that's right. You met three days ago. Chill. Yeah. <laughs> but she does say we hardly knew each other yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So it's almost like it. it's interesting that the minute he's gone and out of the picture, she has a moment of clarity almost mm-hmm. about how maybe I shouldn't feel this way. Or, like, I, I don't understand why she would say that if not to underscore, th- you know, yeah. how absurd exactly. it is that yeah. she would feel that way. Yes. And also draw a contrast period. to uh, the other person who fell in love rather quickly in mm-hmm. the show, mm-hmm. who does not get a respite uh, from his particular bad lover. Uh, in any case, we do move what on. What are you even talking about? Cooper. No, I know. But that was a really weird way of saying it. Yeah. Well, I say weird things sometimes. <laughs> uh, so um, we go back to the sheriff's station. Right? Yes. And we have Andy studying the petroglyph. Apparently he's been studying it nonstop. Yep. He's just been standing there looking at it for <laughs> days, probably. Well, not days, but hours yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, they know that Major Briggs is missing yes. at this point. And, and Cooper assumes, yeah, that Earl's home has targeted him. him. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Truman says that they're out looking for him. And then this is interesting because Cooper brings up Josie and says that Cooper admits that the night that Josie died, he saw Bob and tells Truman that Josie was quaking with fear like an animal and that he suspects that Bob's appearance was linked to the fear that Josie exhibited that night and that maybe this is what draws Bob out, that fear is somehow related to this. And, and he therefore ties it back to the Black Lodge, saying that... This is where Bob comes perhaps from. Perhaps this is where Bob comes from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So connections are starting to be drawn. Yeah. We're getting closer. Yeah. Uh, Wyndham Earl is listening in, yes, by the way, via this whole time. Yeah. Via Bonsai. Yeah. And he realizes, thanks to Cooper, that fear is the key. Yeah. So yes, fear is, is the way to get into the Black Lodge. Yeah, and he says that he has the location and the, the time... Yeah, he knows he knows the where the door episodes. is. Yeah. He knows when the door is going to open. Now he now has, he the, key has the key it. to open it. Yeah. Exactly. So this is this is the scene where Wyndham says farewell to Leo and and takes off, and, right. and we find yeah. out that Leo's got a piece of twine in his teeth, which is connected to a very hastily, Elaborate. poorly made yeah. uh, cage full of tarantulas. Yeah. Um, which I, I never really understood that that was, I mean, unless you're a severe arachnophobe, which maybe Leo is, that's a, a hidden side to his character that we haven't seen before. Or he's just so, you know, he's so brain damaged that he thinks all spiders are super maybe. poisonous, but they didn't even look like dangerous spiders. I don't, I don't know my spiders. I don't know my spiders either. No. Perhaps, so maybe, um, maybe one of our listeners can, 
could tell us. Yeah, yes, in the you can let us know what the uh, what the angle is here. Yeah, because it, it wouldn't be beyond her also to just be toying with sure. Leo the whole time. He's like, oh, set up this elaborate thing to keep him to scare him. Yeah, and he could die at any moment. But really, there's no fear no whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we go to the roadhouse. At this point, uh, it's midday, the day of the pageant, and they're rehearsing. Um, I don't think they've done much rehearsal. They don't look like they've done much rehearsal no. anyway. All the, the pageant entrance. Um, and everybody's there. Nadine is there. Shelly's there. Lucy. Lucy is there. Uh, Donna's there. Donna's there. Um, Lana is there. Yeah. There's a bunch of... Uh, Others. Extras. Extras. Yeah. Who are much better dancers than <laughs> the actors. <laughs> and, uh, and Tim Pinkle. Yes. Who is, is the... Uh, insurance agent and the mm. local expert on the pine weasel yeah. is also a choreographer. Yeah. He's just a man of all, jack of all trades. That's Apparently right. there was a deleted scene in the last episode where he and his brother run a taxidermy company that also <laughs> um, doubles as a taxi service. <laughs> and that's how... Pinkle and Pinkle's taxis? Something like that. And, <laughs> that's and, uh, and that's how John mm. Justice Wheeler got to the airport. But anyway... <laughs> So I just I just love this idea that Tim Pinkle is is part of this. He he's literally a jack of all trades, which makes perfect sense if you've ever been to a small town. My family on my mom's side are all from small towns. Aiden, both your families, more by mom's side, yeah, for sure. All from small towns. Your doctor is your barber, and also the hairdresser, and that's also the barber. So yeah, yeah. you're right. So (laughs) John. The doctor's the barber. He's also shooing the horses yeah. and uh, Everybody school teacher. Can, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it kind of makes sense. It's a little absurd, but uh, but it does lead to some interesting moments where Pinkle kind of interesting fondles the yeah. breast with his eyes. Yes, he's, it's a, he's a very ocular. Uh, Ogler? Yeah, he's a ocular ogler. Ocular ogler. What ogler? Yeah, I like what you said. Mm-hmm. Ocular groper. Uh, so yes, and then the mayor also does some ocular groping. Uh, he says he loves a chorus line, and he giggles, <laughs> of course. Uh, and that's when Norma kind of walks him through, okay, what do you think Miss, the values of Miss Twin Peaks should be? Uh, the mayor and uh, Dick give mm-hmm. their input, and Norma walks off to uh, tabulate the score sheets, or set them up, I guess, before the, the event. Mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, this, Lana there's there's arrives. a break in the in the, the chorus yes. line practice, yeah. I guess. Even and though they really need it, but yes. <laughs> Mayor Milford and Lana set their plan yes. to woo Dick into motion. Yes. And they go to a closet, and there's lots of innuendo and Carol. fumbling in the dark. Yeah. And then and searching for something and finding it. That's it, Aiden. That's what innuendo is. Okay. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not only, not only are we pedantic peaks, we're repetitive as well. That too. Um, no, what's the word I'm looking for? Repetitive works. No, no, no. Um, where it's like redundant. Redundant peaks. Redundant peaks. There we go. Also that. So not only are we pedantic peaks, we are redundant peaks. Yes, indeed. Uh, so at the Great Northern. Yes. We... Come back to Cooper. Yeah, and he is... Meditating instead of sleeping, which, I mean, I'm a meditator. I meditate. And I don't think it it's necessarily the best substitute for sleep, especially when you're someone like Cooper who values sleep so much. Yes. Well, season one, Cooper did. Yeah. Season two, Cooper is a little bit More off the wiggly, mark. Yeah. <laughs> wiggly. Yeah. Um, but he, he says he's meditating in lieu of sleep. 
um, he talks to Diane. This is the whole yes, thing is yes, him talking, talking to, Diane, to Diane, I guess we should say. He's not just sitting in his room talking to himself. Um, well, maybe he maybe is. Maybe he is, yeah. Does <laughs> Diane exist? That's a whole Another other question. Other, a whole other question. But anyway, um, and then well, he, he says that they're he, working around the clock. To which right. I wrote, "Really?" Question mark Because you're sitting in your room at one seventeen p.m., yeah. which is prime working time. Well, he needed his sleep, right? Because he's been working all night. Maybe. Sure. Anyway, he talks to Diane. This apparently is the first time that he's mentioned Annie, um, yes. and he, you know, extols her virtues. Um, and then there's a knock at the door. And who is it? Annie Blackburn. There with it is. impeccable timing, uh, as, of course. as Cooper points out. And she's looking for help on the speech that she has to write for the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. And we get another very odd, stilted conversation. Super awkward conversation. This yeah. was probably the worst because they, they shoehorned in this metaphor of Annie's forest. Right. Because, uh, okay, so all the speeches are supposed to be talking yeah, about. Um, Saving the trees or what, um, how to save the local environment, yeah, I think, is, yeah. is the topic. So, of course, Annie wants to talk about the trees and then, yeah. They go into it and, and how she doesn't, she tried replanting at one point yeah, and she just can't, nothing nothing's growing. And it's just, I mean, honestly, it is, it is really painful to watch. It is. It really is. And, and at one point, you know, this is, this is all a prelude to a kiss, which turns into a makeup session, which turns into sex, I'm sure. Um, Cooper says, I don't want to talk about trees anymore. And I'm like, thank God, because it's so painful. But then, Just kiss her and get it over with. No, but then he says, like, I want to make love with you or something right. like that. And it's like, again, that doesn't sound like Cooper. Well, it, it, and it, it bothers me so much. And can I explain why? Uh, by all means. I don't know. We haven't talked about this, you and I. Yeah. I want to see if you agree with me. Probably but, do. I mean, season one Cooper had a very... We, we saw season one Cooper enter his bedroom and finding a distraught Audrey Horn naked in his bed. And he took the right course of action by turning her down and saying, what you need more than anything is a friend. So I get that. I respect that, Agent Cooper. Yeah. Here we have a woman who is, A, returning from a convent after, B, a suicide, a suicide attempt. attempt over, C, a boy. Yeah. And four days after leaving the convent, Cooper is going to jump into bed with her because he thinks that's the way that he's going to help her best. Yeah. It just seems like this is such a departure for his character and it does not fit. And I feel really uncomfortable with it for everybody out there who is so uncomfortable with with Agent Cooper and Audrey Horn having any kind of relationship. You really should be looking at. Agent Cooper and Annie Blackburn and scratching your heads because this is so, it feels so wrong. It just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. It really doesn't feel right. No. And it, again, yeah, that, for me, it's more just the fact that it's so out of character because yeah. you have the exact opposite thing with Audrey. Right. Um, here, he's just, yeah, he's acting out of character and either it's just poor writing, which we've discussed and this episode has in spades. So it could be just that, uh, but it feels like perhaps something more is going on. Like right. I said, Annie is always there whenever she's being mentioned. Whenever Cooper's thinking about her, all of a sudden there she is. Well, and and she seems to bring out the worst qualities. In yeah, him. yeah. His his impulse, his impulsiveness, um, this amorousness that that we know has gotten him into trouble with Caroline in the past is now 
on full display the night of the pageant, which is, as we find out, the kind of the boiling point where yeah. everything happens. Yeah. It's just his judgment is so impaired. And so it's, I don't think it's bad writing. I think that this is, I think we're meant to see this. I don't think we, we should look at this as like a healthy relationship that is leading towards something beautiful. And this is the happy ending that they're both so needing or that they're both so in need of, right? This is, there are warning signs all over this relationship and it culminates. Well, yeah, Aiden's (laughs) sitting here waving his arms like the giant, but I mean, that's a huge warning sign, right? I mean, not just about Annie, but about a bunch of other things relating to the pageant and, and the Black Lodge. But all of this is coming to a head, and and we've got yet another instance of Cooper falling for a woman. I just I I don't think that this is the magical relationship that it, yeah. it's it it was never supposed to be the ship the people shipped. You know, it's supposed to be the one that you that you look at and you're like, don't do it, like don't do this because it's going to end up badly. Yes. Right. I I tend to agree. I mean, yeah. I I think. I think there's enough there that it feels a little more genuine than you're giving credit for. It's almost as if here, here's my problem is that Annie was basically custom built to meet Cooper's need to save someone yep. who reminds him of Caroline. Mm-hmm. And that comes to a head in the final final episode and fire walk with me. So I, I, yeah, I agree. I think there's something beyond that. I don't, <laughs> I don't view it as incredibly unhealthy, although I think it is, but because it's it's the way it's shot, except for that one scene in the diner from the last episode right. where there was the slow pullback and there was all this dissonance, and that that really put an eerie undercurrent to Annie and Cooper's relationship. Right. But for the most part, it's played straightforward. It's shot straightforward. It's a straightforward love story of two quirky people falling for each other. So, on the whole, I don't I don't view it as I don't think the show wants you to view it as super unhealthy. But I think it does lend itself to a to a uh, an interpretation that Cooper is poorly Cooper is affected in a negative way by his relationship with right. I think you can definitely read it that way. Uh, he even says himself, "I'm distracted. I'm not a good detective anymore." Uh, summarizing, but that's kind of what he said last episode. Uh, to write down to to this episode where he basically loses track of his focus here. Uh, which is keeping people safe from Wyndham Merle, and he's completely ineffective at saving Annie. Uh, he doesn't have Andy, who's trying to find him. He can't find Andy to get Andy's information about what the well. And Andy can't find Cooper exactly. Either, well, right? yeah, and I mean that. I think that one to me is just poor writing because it doesn't make any sense that he can't find himself over four hours. But in any case, there's something weird going on when Annie's in the picture. And I think you can read that quite easily. So yeah, no, I, totally I don't. Agree. I don't think that the show is saying to us that this is an unhealthy relationship. But I do think that the show is pointing us in the direction that this is, this is going to be problematic. Yes. And I don't mean problematic in the moral sense. No, I mean problematic in a broad sense. This yeah. is going to lead to big problems yes. for everyone. Yes, and it does. Um. So the next scene is uh, <laughs> hilariously Nadine Hurley in the Hurley living room giving a slideshow presentation of her... Her wrestling exploits. Her wrestling exploits. And Ed and Norma are there, Mike is there, and Dr. Jacoby is there. And for some reason, they've allowed her to persist in this fantasy that she's just giving a a presentation to her former 
boyfriend, his yes. new girlfriend, and her current boyfriend. And her current boyfriend. Who, and by her the way, psychologist. Yes. By the way, Mike looks oddly a little proud, maybe? I love... Maybe, yeah. I kind of like the way he played this scene, because he's yeah. like, he doesn't know how to react. He's like, this is a super awkward situation. Yeah. And she's showing her wrestling well, experience. because like, this, this is... Ostensibly, this is, a, this is a therapy session. Yeah. Because Dr. Jacoby Dr. is there. there. As much a therapist as he is, let's yeah. be honest. Because I really think that... Because he, he, he talks about how when people are going through a divorce is what he's supposed to say or what he wants to say, but he corrects himself and says a breakup yeah. um, because he still can't, like, they can't tell Nadine that she's married to Ed because she thinks she's 18 years old. Yeah. It's just such a, again, just such a break with any kind of, you know, psychological, ethical, you well, yeah, I don't you know. You can't get away with that. I don't know Hiding how this would work. Yeah, like, like it does not seem like so, it's going to be good. But anyways, he brings it up to Ed and, and uh, Ed and Norma first because, yeah. well, he he arrives at Ed and Norma and says, "Ed, do you have anything to say?" And yeah, Ed how informs, do you feel? yeah, and Ed informs Nadine that he and Norma want to get married. Right. Um, and Nadine freaks out a little well, bit. And yeah, she reacts in in a kind of a. A jealous way, yeah. She's she's perturbed but she by. She hides it really well. Like yeah, yeah. Like, she's trying to. You can she's tell. Like, well, okay. And then the way you can tell that Mike she's upset, and I are getting married. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then she she's squeezing Mike's hand to death. Yeah. <laughs> and he has this. Uh, does he scream at the end of yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, but it's just it, yeah, it's just another kind of really uncomfortable scene. Like yeah. they're gonna have to break it to her eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, they how are. Do you, how do you get divorced from someone who... You couldn't. You couldn't. Yes. Like, they couldn't... No. Yeah. It, We've talked about this in past episodes. I don't yeah, know. Where we were, it, like, we were yeah. trying to figure it out, and I don't think there's much legal precedent for 40-come-14-year-old girl. No, she's 18. But in any case... Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a touchy legal ground. Out in the woods... Yes. Major Briggs is kind of wandering aimlessly and uh, comes across... Well, Hawk is driving in the, the sheriff, the sheriff's department truck and or sheriff department's truck. Yeah. And he comes across Major Briggs kind of stumbling out into the road. And um, and the thing that, that Major Briggs says when he when Hawk picks him up is which way to the castle? Yeah. Uh, so he's clearly not all there yet. Whatever Windermere has injected, injected him with yeah. is still playing and wreaking havoc on Major Briggs's. And we find out what that is right away because they cuts right to uh, the major at the sheriff's station. And Cooper just smells the major and he says, Halperidol. Yeah. Which is interesting because yeah. it's the same drug that, again, uh, Earl used earlier. Right. And uh, Mike, Philip Gerard. Yeah. Well, Philip Gerard used when he didn't want to be Mike. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, Halperidol, we should just say, it's a drug that's used to treat schizophrenia. Yeah. It's used in TV shows, in other TV shows. I think they used it in the X Files, in an episode. Okay. Um, and I, I, I'm sure I've heard it somewhere else, but I'm not sure what kind of effect it's having. What you know, yeah, if it what if do it we have prevents, on a yeah. yeah, if it prevents a um, a person with schizophrenia from having symptoms or presenting symptoms of their schizophrenia what would it do to a healthy person would it make them delusional i'm not sure that that's what yeah. it would do it seems like one of those magic tv yeah. drugs that yeah. they're just gonna yeah drop it you know but um in any case the, sh- the major briggs is just blubbering away in the corner yeah about the king of romania Mania and god and yeah all judy sorts garland of, yeah um 
So And this is when Cooper kind of puts a lot of stuff together. Yeah, exactly. So he um he says that the the door well, to the lodge must exist in both a time and a place. And he loses Sheriff Truman in this whole... Describing, like, a theory of relativity almost? No, he, he's talking about... Well, yeah, kind of, I guess, kind in of. a way. Because he's talking about a shooting star existing yes. in... Uh, across... Places, in in yeah. a place across a period of time I mean, or... I mean, we all exist in, in both space and time. And we always move through both as well. So yeah, and then, but then he's talking... Yeah, he is talking about relativity. Yeah. He's talking about from the perspective of the star. Yeah, it's a yeah, whole different yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at this point, we realize well, there there are three steps behind. Yeah, yeah, Agent really, Earl, yeah. right? Because he's got everything. Yeah. He's got all three points. Yeah, and out, right? uh, and they have, well, th- yeah, they have nothing. They, they have none yeah. of the none of the no. keys. I mean, and they, we find them all this more or less yeah. this episode, but it happens very quickly. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, at this point, they're still quite a bit behind. Yeah. So, so the Blue Pine yes. Lodge. Uh, we go there, and Pete and Andrew are trying to open, or trying to use a vice to open the big metal block. Right, the final box of the puzzle boxes that Thomas Eckert left for yeah. for Andrew. And uh, Catherine's kind of egging them on and, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then Andrew hurts his hand trying to like wrench on the. Yeah, vice. I don't know what they're what they're hoping to do with this, like to press it open. I'm yeah, not sure like, what the yeah, is. yeah. I guess like, like to squish it, it. Yeah, if they squish part of it, there'd yeah, be that, I could have told you that wasn't gonna work. No, it was really so dumb. So it serves Andrew right for hurting his hand. Exactly, uh, but then he gets vengeance. Oh, by he does whipping out a, a six shooter. <laughs> it really Quite, is, isn't it? It's it like is. an old western. Yeah, and it's it's a fairly big caliber too. Um, and then he starts shooting at the box on the ground, uh, and he hits it after three or four shots, I think. Um, and it's so stupid because they like bend down. He's so happy He's and excited. Cackling. He's, He's so excited. Awesome. Um, and then he reaches down and there's a big hole in the box and perfectly preserved, of course, somehow is a key that's just like sitting on the edge of yeah. the yeah. <laughs> the opening. Um, and he pulls it out. They don't discover what the key is for. No, Catherine kind of says much. That they they need to keep it in plain sight, uh, because and and Pete. Very interesting. He's like, you guys don't trust each other. And it should be kept safe. Yes. In plain sight. You two don't trust each other? Of course we do. Like brother, like sister. And she she hides it under a cake saver yeah. in plain sight. And they'll figure out what to do with it in the next episode. Yeah. After all this time, yes. they're not going to do anything with it. It's a very Twin Peaks thing to do, I guess. We abandon this plot, plot line and, and let's and, just... <laughs> yeah, keep moving on. Uh, which we do. We don't, We go to the Hayward's house and Donna is uh, comes down in her 80s finest. Yep. Um, hair piled high, a red oh, and black yeah. dress on. And uh, once again confronts her parents about Ben Horn. And I can't believe that the storyline is still going on. I know. This is... So terrible. But anyways, uh, she basically just gives them an ultimatum. Like, if yep. you don't tell me, I'm going to go talk to Ben. Yeah. And then she storms off. She says, it's your choice. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. Well, no, actually, it's your choice. Yeah, she absolves herself of all responsibility because she's a stupid teenager who should have died in the pink room. Oh, wow. Aiden, that's harsh. I don't care. I don't like Donna. <laughs> I really have a sorry. note that says petulant child. And I think that was me in the past writing it about you right now. <laughs> Because you just stomped your feet and, like, did the hole with the hands. Oh, uh, I know. But I just, I cannot stand Donna 
in these last few episodes. She has no purpose, no meaning. Yeah. And and they it's not it's not uh Lara Flynn Boyle's fault. It's it is a complete writer problem. Yeah, they just didn't know what to do with her. They had no idea what to do with her. James was out of the picture and that's all she'd been tied to. She had no character beyond James since basically the very beginning the very beginning but i mean early on she was laura's best friend and she had that going for right her. but since the start of season two really once she put on those sunglasses well no okay <laughs> after maddie died yeah she had no purpose anymore yeah and it's it i mean it's it's unfortunate but that's what that's what the whole destabilizing effect of removing laura from the storyline had on some of the central characters exactly yeah. so so we're seeing that play out here with with a character who i mean I didn't hate Donna at the no, beginning, I, but but as the seasons wore on, in this storyline, she she fell into a bad plot again. Yeah, and and it's just yeah, it it's one of the soapier plots that we've. Yes, it's, it's again one of the full on soap. Plots. Yeah, yeah, not it's, the one that's played mm, for yeah for laughs for this laughs. Is, this yeah, is this like is a, a their, paternity issue. Yeah. is totally General Hospital, yeah. right? So. Um, but anyway, yeah. she storms off to the Miss Twin Peaks pageant. And uh, we go back to the sheriff's station where Andy is still looking at that petroglyph. Mm-hmm. And Cooper realizes that... So Andy... And, no, Andy comes to the realization. He asks if the 4-H club has something to do with... Yes. I think, I, no, I think he did ask that in the previous scene. But Cooper no, said, I no, I don't asked, think so, Andy. And then they, it was this later scene that Cooper's like, wait a minute. You're right. It wasn't 4-H. It was... The symbol for Jupiter and Jupiter and Saturn. (laughs) (laughs) Jupiter and Saturn. Uh, So, and this kind of snowballs, and and it becomes now, yeah, very, very quickly. He figures out so the conjunction of soup. I'm gonna do it again. (laughs) (laughs) The conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn is the time when this is gonna happen, and that that takes place between I think he said January and June. Yeah. So right now yeah. is when the conjunction is yeah, happening. He, says it, he explains it causes, what the conjunctions. Yeah, it would cause intensification of... Uh, it gives the potential for explosive change, both right. good and bad, he says. Because one planet controls um, expansive change and one is contractive in influence, yeah. right? Okay. So when they come together... Yeah, big things happen. Supposedly, I know nothing about yeah, astrology. No, and neither do I. I, this, I feel so. like this part's just kind of dropped in there, like... Cooper doesn't strike me as an astrology guy. No, this is this is one of those like new agey things that like yeah, I don't yeah. I don't see Cooper being like, let's go get my tarot read, you yeah. know? He's like spirituality for yes. sure, but not like the heavens are going to impact my spirit in any way, you know? It's it's a little more terrestrial than that, I feel. And and that's this is really the only instance of this. This is the only mention of of yeah. The stars aligning literally for this. And it, yeah, it feels a little out of place because it, it comes in here and then it moves on. And basically we just so know that this is still a time in which these things are Yeah, happening. I mean, I, I do wonder how much of this was planned out in advance because those symbols were on the map and they were astrological symbols. I mean, they were there from the beginning on this petroglyph, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, 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 no. I know, I know it's... I know it's 
in terms of the plot, it mm-hmm. makes sense. But in terms of the fact that, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, we don't necessarily know how much he he's been reading these books, so maybe that's where he's getting excited mm, because he's true. just been reading them. Maybe this isn't knowledge that he's pulling out of yeah. his back pocket. It's stuff that he's absorbing actively as they're yeah. researching. As part this. of the research, table yeah. in the conference room is yeah, full, it's full of books, and he so. does look up from the book when he yeah. when he first thinks of it. It's true. Um, um just a quick note there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so it's the whole January to June window. Yeah. Which includes when Laura's been murdered. Right. Um, and all the other bad things that have happened. Maddie yes. getting murdered. Yeah. Uh, Jacques getting murdered. Uh, Leland dying. Everything so that happened. Everything, everything, everything that fire. happened. Yes. Everything that's happened has been bad. Yeah. So why would you pick a fight <laughs> with the evil spirits when all the explosive changes have been negative? Like, I, it, right. I don't think Cooper's presence there is going to magically turn them into positive things. I think that's a yeah. huge... Uh, kind of well this foreshadowing is, this of, is this is the thing is because cooper is so convinced of the rightness of his actions mm-hmm. and the goodness of his character that i think he really does believe that he can he, yeah, he could can sway that tide yeah. and he could tip the balance in favor of good yeah um which may be his undoing yes a little spoiler but that's okay yeah it's yeah it's worth um, mentioning so anyway, he know they know the when yeah. at any at any rate. And the major and then spells the how. Briggs starts talking about doors. He says that fear and love open the door. I think if it's telling us when, then it must also tell us where. Fear and love opens the doors. What's he saying? He said fear and love open the doors. Two doors. All of a sudden, Cooper comes to this realization. More realizations, yeah. They know the how. Yeah. Fear opens the black door, or the door to the black lodge. Yeah. Fear opens the door to the black lodge. Love opens the door to the white. And Truman's like, how do you know that? He's like, I don't know. No, it just, it just came, came to me. me. It's like, well, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty obvious, but it's, it's you know, yeah. it, it seems to kind of, the way that this conversation kind of flows, I feel like that's very telling of how Agent Cooper operates. Yeah. The Agent Cooper that we know and love operates it's just like stream of consciousness let's see where this takes us right then major briggs continues with protect the queen mm-hmm. is the only other thing that they can make, make sense of, of. Yeah. and they start to wonder well what the queen of what the queen of queen of romania yeah. um <laughs> but no it's the queen uh miss twin peaks yeah. she will be the queen um, which is what we've had foreshadowed the entire back half of season two with windham Earl and his card game and the chess game, and Agent Cooper calling Annie his queen in the last episode. So finally, they have the who, whoever wins the Miss Twin Tweaks. I really can't speak tonight. Miss Twin Tweaks. That's not it. Whoever wins the Miss Twin Peaks pageant is going to be Wyndham Earl's victim as he takes them to the lodge, which they find out, is that here where they figure out it's Glastonbury Grove? Nope, that's in the next episode. So whoever wins Miss Twin Peaks pageant is going to be crowned the queen. The queen. Yeah. Uh, she will become Wyndham Earl's victim, and it will happen tonight. Yes. Um, yeah, so we put all those pieces together, and they, of course, like, oh, we got to rush we off gotta to Miss go. Twin Peaks. got to protect the queen. Um, and But before they do, Andy gets excited, and he's pestering Cooper to and Cooper pay attention to him. Has Cooper has just no for patience it. for him all of a sudden, which is, again... Convenient for the yeah, plot. Very convenient for the plot. Um, but Andy gets so excited, he rushes over and knocks over the bonsai plant. It crashes. 
and they discover then that that Earl was listening in, and Cooper also summarizes for the audience. Well, Earl's a couple steps ahead of us, mm-hmm. and we've been working for him the whole time. Um, and then they jet off again, and Andy again is chasing Cooper and yelling his name. This is what this is what Andy does the rest of the episode, and it is frustrating. And I'm trying to read it thematically. Like, maybe this is a link that... that yeah, Cooper has just blocked out Andy for some reason because yeah. Andy has important information that would actually help him. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's possible. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just terrible writing. Because, I mean, there's no reason Andy has to do that. He could have... Truman could have swept his coat up and knocked off the bonsai tree, and that's how they discover that, if you need to reveal that plot point, which you don't, by the way. But they could sweep that off, mm-hmm. and that happens, and Andy still is just staring at the thing, and then he rushes to... Miss Twin Peaks at the end of the episode, and that's much more believable than what we get, um, which, which is, is at Miss Twin Peaks. Um, well, let's start with that. So we go to Miss Twin Peaks. Yes, and this is the, the Roadhouse. It takes up the rest of the episode. Yeah. Uh, so they start. We start off when we arrive. All the girls are doing the dance. Yeah. They're all in raincoats yeah. that look eerily like... the umbrella like dance. Umbrella dance, but it's all clear plastic. Oh, yes, yes. They're all wrapped, wrapped in, in plastic. plastic. Yes, because of course they were. Um, and it's just as bad as my voice intoned it would be. Uh, their dance is yes. really haphazard. I mean, that part is great because it, it feels like a small town sure. pageant of women who you know didn't have a lot of time to, <laughs> to prep for the dance or anything. Um, they're twirling their umbrellas and... It's kind of like a little introduction. They all kind of step out and give yeah. a little smile for the judges. judges and and blah, it's, blah. you know. Um, yeah, and who's watching? Many, all the judges, obviously. But sure. also uh, the log lady yes. is at the bar watching. Being, being harassed totally by Tim Pinkle. Yeah, Pinkle's just like all over groping her and she's just shutting him off <laughs> yeah, and stuff, kind of which is funny. Um, yeah, and then uh, after the dance and the little parade, yeah. Doc Hayward comes out and lays out what's going to happen. Yep. Um, and they start with the talent section. Right. And Lucy comes out and does her her jazzy yeah, ballet sure. number. Which, uh, uh, oh my God. You're going to call her Lucy Maria. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kimmy Robertson. Yeah. So um, this was choreographed by Kimmy Robertson. She yeah. choreographed it herself. Self. Um, and she has said that she just treated it like the way, the same way that Wendy Roby treated her uh, approach to Nadine. Yeah. Just, Lucy's gone insane. Yeah. This is what it is. Because she's like, I'm doing a, like splits at the end, yeah. and I'm supposed to be pregnant, and it's just, it's just all over the place. So I really feel like at this point, second last episode, they kind of probably knew that it was going to be canceled. canceled. They were thrown in the towel. They at this were, point. and and it feels like they were just taking the piss. Yeah, yeah, and, and I feel why, like they were just having fun at this point. They're well, like, you know what? yeah, and and just okay. like whatever, it doesn't matter, right? Um, the next, uh, oh yeah, so while um, while Lucy's giving her dance, we get a glimpse of Bobby backstage, and he's looking out over the crowd, and he sees Mr. Cool. Pinkle and the Log Lady. He turns back and sees. Another log lady. Another log lady at the back entrance. Yeah. And when he turns back out to the front, the log our lady. log lady is gone. Mysteriously. Because Mr. Yeah, Pinkle, Pinkle like, kind reaches, of... And he's like, whoa, where'd she go? Like, she like, literally disappeared out of thin air, which I thought was interesting. It's almost like there can be only one. <laughs> but of course, the one that's... Don't that's, cut off the log lady's head, please. No, I didn't. I won't. I wouldn't do that. She comes back in the next episode. Yeah, it's all does. good. Yeah. But... Um, the 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 second log lady is obviously not the log yeah. lady. And Bobby so, approaches her. Yes. And, she uh, whacks him over the head with a with log. With a log. And we realize it's Wyndham Earl. It's Wyndham in Earl, disguise. of course. After Lucy does finishes her dance, we get um, a brief show of Lana Milford's 
contortionistic jazz exotica. Yes, which is faux belly dancing, maybe. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very Arabian Nights. Yeah. It's, it is interesting. I mean, we haven't talked about this before, but the way that Lana is kind of coded, she, she was coded as a witch yeah. earlier because of her sexuality. Here she's coded as, you know, uh, other oriental yeah, in a, in a way, like, like she's yeah. she's she's mystical and exotic, and she, yeah, she's belly dancing, which is like associated with, you know, snake charming and the whole, you know, this this whole other cultural thing, all in this effort to woo Dick Tremaine into voting for her. Yeah. Um, it really does take that character to a place where, I mean, not that we like Lana anyway, I don't think. Can I speak for you when I say that? By all means. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, it's so ridiculous. And I really, I appreciate where Mark Frost tried to take her in Secret History and give her some kind of weird backstory that maybe, maybe you could use to explain away her character. But really, yeah. she's just terrible. Yeah, just, just uninteresting and not necessary. Unnecessary. That is one thing you said. Uh, what I well, I said while we were watching this. Why are we watching this? Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with anything. Again, it's just like the uh, episode I think two weeks ago uh, when we had our friend Tasha on. There were just a lot of subplots that didn't need to happen mm-hmm. that we could have skipped over. And focused on what actually needed to happen, and it yeah. would have been much more interesting. Right. And you said, and I quote, "This ain't gonna get you renewed for next season." <laughs> Lindsay Stanley's 2017. Yes. Um, and you're just so right because this this was this was the painful parts that were really hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, uh, it's little Nikki wrapped up in a Civil War dress doing Arabian dancing. Right. That's how terrible Miss Twin Peaks is. It just it just doesn't fit. And I think like we said, they knew they knew what was Yeah, the writing was on the wall. Yeah, and they knew how ridiculous it was. Because I mean, you don't see they were scenes scripted for Audrey and Donna and Shelley. And I I I mean it hasn't been confirmed, but it's pretty much confirmed as much as we can say that they didn't want to participate in this. Yeah. The actresses did not want to participate in this plot line. Um, whether because they didn't want to prance around naked or half naked or whether they thought it wasn't fitting with their characters. Um, All true. Yeah. They, they, I mean, Audrey doesn't have, she's not in the, the, dance. the dance. She doesn't do a talent. a talent portion, although she does have a speech. So, I mean, it, it is kind of, I mean. Yeah. It is what it it's, is. It, it just is a really ridiculous plotline. But it's something that we've been building up to, so I guess they kind of had to show something. Yeah. Um, but yeah. anyway. And, and in between all these bouts of terribleness, uh, another one appears because Donna confronts Ben. Right. And asks him, what is this all about? And she lays out all her evidence, like the, 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 birth, certificates, the birth certificates, the photographs, the, photographs the love letters. Yeah. And then she acts so shocked when he basically confirms that he's her father. Yeah. Like, you've, you've known this, and then getting the confirmation is what makes you angry and look like you're going to throw up. It's, yeah, it's a it's, strange it is. moment. But it is. Whatever. But again, it's, it's Donna stuck in this terrible storyline where she has nothing to do but fake outrage, really, at this point. I will say that I thought it was interesting that, that here I did believe that Ben was 
wanting to do the right thing. This is not the right place, the time or place to tell her this truth. Um, He says, maybe we can all sit down later and we can discuss it. And Donna being Donna and being a teenager wants it now. She wants everything now and can't handle it when she gets it. And for once I'm like, maybe you should have listened to Ben Horn. (laughs) (laughs) which just goes to show you how terrible the storyline is but it uh it yeah it does you know doesn't it's not resolved here but you know we're we're more or less now 100 percent certain that at least ben is in the running yeah if eileen doesn't know for sure which one of the parents which one of the men is donna's father yeah we highly suspect that it could be ben mirroring this is lucy with her pronunciation pronouncement that yeah. today is d-day or dad day yes she well first sorry in between there again though there is another important scene okay which is annie's speech oh yes i just wanted to skip over that and just parallel okay okay sure sure yeah okay. we're, we're yeah. just gonna go out of order a little bit here yeah, sure. to talk about how the the parallel with donna's story is lucy's story but at the fetal stage yeah, of development. Yeah. So she's choosing a father. She's choosing the father before the baby is born, regardless of biological contribution. Yeah. And she chooses Andy. Of course. And uh, and Dick is predictably okay, nonplussed. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of I'm like sorry, Dick, but I just have to do what's best for little what's his name? Oh no, not at all, a son choice. Heartiest congratulations, dearest Andrew. Now if you'll both excuse me, I do have a vote to cast myself. Here's to the children. <laughs> Don't sound so disappointed. I mean, Lucy clearly chose the, the better of the two, um, but she's still kind of pissed that. Yeah, Dick just <laughs> walked like, away so fast. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, try and feel better or whatever her quote is. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, and then Andy's like, you know, he's typically sweet and so nice. He's like, oh, I can't wait to be a great dad kind of thing. But first... I have to find Agent Cooper. Yeah, story. and then he kind of walks off in a trance almost and leaves Lucy yeah. all by herself backstage. So, um, but yes, in between the Donna and and uh, Lucy scenes, we have Annie giving her speech, which yes. Cooper helped her with that afternoon. And it's about the Red Man. Yeah. Which is... It's a little odd, but it's basically a speech about um, the Indians, the Native Americans in this area and how they would be affected and how their, I guess, almost ways of knowing and their their uh, spiritual beliefs are kind of being threatened by the by the deforestation. Right. Well, how how their how their spiritual practices are tied up with with the foresting with the forests of the area. Yes. She quotes Chief Seattle, mm-hmm. who is the chief of the Snohomish tribe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's, I mean, it's an interesting choice that she yes. would go with that. And it feels it feels like it has Cooper's fingerprints all yeah, over it. Yeah, it does, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, I believe that Annie probably would pull this out and, you know. Really? She, yeah, she seems like she she's a, she's a religious person. Yeah, true. So she would have that kind of instinct to go to that place. Um, but it is interesting to talk about, you know, trees containing souls. Yeah. And as we've mentioned numerous times in the past, this is a town that is built entirely on the deforestation of the surrounding, the area. surrounding area and the destruction of the nature that these Native American tribes would have worshipped and still do. 
and that they believed contained the souls of their ancestors and the dead who have passed on. So it puts into conflict modern sensibilities about, mm-hmm. and, and especially with this industry that, that powers the town and the ancient culture that existed there for generations, mm-hmm. millennia before this that's as old as the evil that lives in the trees. Yeah. And it really, it, it you know, the evil that lives in the trees or the evil that, how, what's the quote? Yeah. The, the evil in the woods? The evil, evil in the woods, the, yeah. The woods. The, then Cooper said in the, earlier in the episode that that is basically the Black Lodge. Is, right. So, is I mean, evil. so, I mean, here's Annie talking about a good version of that, mm-hmm. that kind of, like the flip side of it. Yeah, right? she, she says at one point that uh, spiritual war, warriors will, will try and save the world, I think is how the quote goes. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, I've kind of, for this watch at least, uh, kind of interpreted Annie as, if not a, a lodge spirit, then someone deeply connected to the lodges. And I always presumed because of the effect it had on Cooper that it's a black lodge. But it was um, interesting that you said. Yeah, I thought maybe. You like paused it. Yeah, and like, I'm like, <gasps> wait a minute. Maybe she's a white lodge yeah, spirit. Which is different. I mean, it's, it's a different way of looking at it that Cooper would be affected by the spiritual warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, even if Annie's not... Um, she may not be intending to affect Cooper negatively. Mm-hmm. She's honestly just kind of smitten by this this simpleton human, if she is a spirit of some mm-hmm. sort, uh, who has just, you know, pure intentions and stuff. Right. Uh, in which case, this speech really is kind of like the coming together of their uh, worldviews. Right. Um, just as they came together in the bedroom earlier in the episode. <laughs> and that was what the speech was. That's when they started talking about the speech, right? Was, right. So they, they literally have joined together into this, this kind of speech and, and Cooper's just so, and watching him, he's so proud of it and he's, right. he re- reacts very positively to it. Um, and th- th- there is a bit of ominous music though, attached to this. Yes. I noticed. So th- it's, it's, it's more interesting than the rest of Miss Twin Peaks is, sure. his, is her speech. Uh, but it's still not, it doesn't help that much. At the end, I'm still. I didn't care much. I'm like, Annie's talking great. It doesn't help that Heather Graham really didn't didn't yeah. wow with the speech. Well, I mean, it and was, it's it's again just odd choices for. Yeah. And I I don't know I. If it had been one director directing all of these and making these choices and steering her in that direction, I might be able to believe that that this was planned. Mm-hmm. But um, like our theory yeah. that she is some kind of. Or that she's connected in some way, whether she's a pawn or whether she's inhabited by or whatever. Yeah. But I just, I think it's just a yeah. young and experienced actress who maybe hasn't, yeah. hasn't hit her boogie nights prime yet. No, exactly. And I but, mean, it's, it's interesting though, because she does better in the next episode. Oh yeah. Fire Walk With Me. She's not a big character in either of those. But they're uh, both directed by David exactly. Lynch. Exactly. David Lynch, I mean, he's just a great director. I mean, he can pull really great performances out of out of actors yeah. who otherwise may not be capable of Which we've, we've mentioned before with regard with, to yeah, James. Yeah, James especially is and a probably, great example. Probably, you know, if we went back and watched it for Donna, we would probably see yep. the same thing. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, the pilot Donna is the best Donna. Yeah. Until Firewalk With Me Donna. But, uh, you know... They, there's something more to each of those characters mm-hmm. and he and he's able to pull it out of out of his actors every time so yeah. um she is good in the next episode she doesn't again she doesn't have much of a role but we'll talk about that next next well she doesn't have as much of she doesn't have a lot of lines but she does have a big role. yes it's true yeah, yeah. no it's just true. to correct what you're saying yeah, yeah. There. fair enough fair enough um so, then, so we're not going to talk about audrey's speech at all 
What is her speech? Andrea's speech is boring. She, she like, mentions oh, about how you have to protect the or save the thing that you love or whatever. Yeah. But I guess it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. But yeah, no, Audrey we, gives a we, we skipped over uh, We skipped over a part that Audrey gives a speech. It's just a, a kind of a couple of throwaway lines about how you have to... Uh, when you love something, you, you need to protect it. It seems to have an effect on Cooper. That's all. There, yeah, it's just a moment true. where um, the camera cuts from Audrey's speech to Cooper and... Uh, so, I mean, he's already in that mindset, but I think as soon as the winner is announced, which is the very next scene after Annie's no, speech. No, after, uh, it goes back to Lucy and Andy is in between the announcement of the winner and the end of the contest. Because the doctor announces that there's going to be balloting and then there's going to oh, be a winner. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's right. when Andy and Lucy go off. Yep. Um, and then when he comes back, he announces the winner and it is. It is Annie. It is Annie, of course. Um, um, and Cooper's reaction is. Yeah, he's one kind of, of in it. Fear, a, really? Well, it's like, it's shock almost. Or something like I'm not sure how, yeah. but he he kind of it takes a little while for it to register. Yeah. He claps, but he seems to be very on edge. Yeah, and he's scanning the crowd and heightened state of alertness. Um, but then in the commotion of what's happening on stage with the crowning and flowers and everything like that, yeah. um, the lights cut out yes, again. The power dies again. The power dies, and we get this strobing effect, which yes. is. Um, if if David Lynch didn't have a hand in deciding to put that in there, it's a very uncanny choice on yeah. the part of Tim Hunter because that's something that we come, we've come to associate with with Lynch, and it is something that comes into play in the finale. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I thought this scene was by far the best part of the episode. Oh yeah, because just visually, it's amazing to watch. Oh for sure, like you 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 understand exactly what's going on, but it's so disorienting at the same time that yeah. you 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 really are thrown into that that kind of nether space of of understanding what's happening, but not being able to control it. And Cooper is is right in there with it. He's well, trying and you're to, you're literally only able to react to yes. what's happened a half second behind. Yeah, because that's all you can see. Yeah, um, what does happen? So. Uh, the power cuts out. Everyone starts screaming, and some people are running away. Cooper tries to approach the stage, but um, who was was it? The doc, doctor, or someone drags Annie yeah, off stage. Yeah, Doc Hayward takes Annie off stage, backstage or whatever. Backstage. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then something happens where, uh, in any way, Earl as uh, the log lady appears. Yeah. Um, he sets off a series of explosions with. Uh, a remote control remote device. Control of some sort. I think to to distract or disorient Cooper even more because yeah. he does it and it's right in Cooper's face. Yeah, so well, it's almost like he knows where Cooper is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, because Cooper is trying to approach Annie on stage. Does and Cooper recognize that Windermere is? I don't. I don't as the think they lady? see each other really. I. I. It's really. I it is did, confusing. I mean, but it's hard to tell. Like, it is hard to tell. Um, but there are other explosions. Like people, it's just a scene of great chaos. Like you have no idea what's really going on. And I have to say, though, Cooper's reactions are still still seem very slow. And Truman is the worst. He just kind of peers in. Mm. You know, he walks in. He walks in and he's kind of on the edge of the, the room where there's more uh, more light. And he's just kind of peering into the, into the, the strobe. And the haze, and this, yeah, yeah, and he's just like, huh, that's cool. This like He's happening. not taking control of the situation and getting everyone out right, right, or anything right. like that. He just kind of stands there. It's, well, it's, it's, I think that's just meant to show how shocking this event is, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's what they've been there to expect. It's what they know. They should have had the place surrounded with, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, I doubt in real life, I'm sure Winnemarl wouldn't have made it out of the building no. with Annie. Yeah. Um, we should say that... Uh, Nadine? Yeah, Wyndham uh, drops a sandbag on Nadine, oh, is that what Nadine's head. Okay. Yeah, and knocks her out. Um now I've read some theories that Wyndham Earl did that on purpose because Nadine would overpower him if she were, 
you know, yeah, yeah. part of this melee that, that, that takes happens. Place, yeah. um, I think it's just a convenient way to set up uh, next, what happens yeah, in the next Nadine's episode. Story, yeah. But it is another head injury that happens in this yes. episode. So Yeah, no, it's true. Um, um, yeah, but yeah. No, I was just going to say, I mean, as great as the scene is, I thought Earl was a little too uh, earnest in his in his attack. I don't How know. Do you figure? I don't know. I just like his his face is all scrunched up and he's he's got like this malevolent look on his face. I find he's again, we've talked about this in past episodes. Earl's much scarier when he has neutral expression. When he yeah. is the calm, collected, focused one, not when he's super angry and or and, gleeful. Yeah, or exactly. Whatever. And so I found that was kind of distracting, uh, as great as this episode is. Or as this scene is. Um I wanna say that that's part of his transformation into the Windham Earl that we yeah, meet in the Black Lodge sure. because we've already seen him. If we want to take the interpretation that his initial appearance with the white face and black teeth is him being taken over, yeah. um, then this could be a, a possessed or inhabited or you know guided by Black Lodge denizen Windemerl. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but but you're right. It does seem he just he just isn't as scary. No, it's true. But he does he does take Annie. Yeah, he manages to get her out. And as soon as he leaves the stage, the lights come back up. Yeah. And Cooper and Truman have their their moment where they realize what's happened. Yeah. Cooper says he got Annie. Truman reassures him that he won't get half a mile from here. And he sets out to go put in a corner or a, a trap or whatever. Um and so Bobby's been knocked out off to the side of the stage, maybe yep. five feet away. Yeah. Um, and then Lucy does the splits and everyone cheers. Uh, and that's the end of that part. And that's when Andy arrives. Okay. okay. And there were how many contestants in, would you say, Miss Twin Peaks? Oh, Eight, I don't know. A 14, dozen? 12, 14? Something like that. Lucy's dance took a minute and a half. So 14 times, let's say they all get two minutes. That's that's 28 minutes worth okay. of dance time. Uh, there'd be people going back and forth backstage. Somebody, somebody would have found Bobby in about two minutes and alerted the authorities. Uh, Andy would have had 28 minutes just during the talent portion, not even the speeches, okay? Because it was after this comes the speeches. Andy would have had 28 minutes more. Probably, no, you'd probably get three minutes for a speech. So let's say, what is that? 14 times three? I can't do math. 42. 42 minutes plus 28 minutes is almost an hour. Let's say more. Let's say an hour. They have an hour. for the, This pageant takes an hour. In that time, nobody finds Bobby. Andy cannot find Cooper. Cooper's at the bar in the middle of the freaking thing. <laughs> And nothing happens in this plot. Nobody finds the log lady. Nobody finds Earl as the log lady anywhere else. In this hour, a pageant is a nonstop flurry of activity. Nobody finds anybody. It is terrible, terrible storytelling that just, it bothered me to no end watching this. Lindsay, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I I love what you're doing. (laughs) I really love how incensed you are. Because... Finally. Yes, finally Andy has found Cooper. Yeah. Andy explains in two seconds, hey, it was a map. This is important. That cave painting in the office, I finally figured it out. What? I knew I'd seen it someplace before. I know where it's telling us to go. It's not a puzzle at all. It's a map. Uh, but it's interesting that Cooper, uh, Cooper's reaction is kind of like, he's still dazed. He's a little, you know, he still doesn't really understand um, but as soon as Andy says that, he kind of like, like you don't you don't get Cooper's reaction, but you do get um, he's a bit more attentive to Andy. Again, Andy's gone from the picture. Right. Does that have something to do with it? Uh, 
he's he's kind of realizing that he uh, he doesn't have all the detective skills that he used to have. So he's relying on uh, Andy and the other detectives slash detective sure. sheriffs, yeah, to do this. So I think it I think it's interesting because it leads into the next episode a bit better than I think it would if you didn't have that if that scene or if that line came in the next episode mm-hmm. um, where was, Andy announces that yeah it's that a map, it's a map. If, right. they, if they do that at the uh, no, start of the next I think episode. it's a good way to end the episode yeah to have I mean we've we've known it's a map already yeah so it's not a re- revelation for us no but it feels like a revelation for us right well because we know now that Cooper and Earl are on the same page for the yeah, most part that right. they both understand and I think the that's where, when, how, and, and that's that. where their showdown, if you want to call it that, yeah, has is, been set up. Well, and it's it's going to have because now they're on equal footing, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. Um, it was interesting to note for me that there was a deleted scene that was cut from the script where Cooper and Wyndham Earl had a, a bit of a show off, show off, showdown. showdown? Had a bit of a showdown on the catwalk above the stage. Oh. And originally Cooper was going to have his gun drawn. And there were some words exchanged. And then that's when the, the chaos erupts. Oh. So he or it's during the chaos. When the chaos is erupting. I can't remember. Um, and then and then he, he takes Annie. So, I mean, having them face off. I wanted to ask you that. Having Cooper and Wyndham Earl face off here before they face off in the next episode would that be stronger i don't think so it depends on the context like it depends on how it's done Mm -hmm. um but i mean assuming you end up with the same resolution that cooper fails and annie's kidnapped anyways um i don't think so because that that's what makes uh if you're gonna have these two characters um that are polar opposites face off you want to have as much build up as you can so i think i think this works actually pretty well even if it's frustrating that he's so close, Cooper is so close, and still can't yeah. pull this off. Yeah. See, I, I think I think this is episode could have been fixed more with timing. I think Andy rushing in at the last minute. Um, I think they could have had Miss Twin Peaks running this whole episode, mm-hmm. and and or, well, not the whole episode, but the last like 20, 25 minutes, as which is what the it last did. 15. No, it was about the last fifteen. Oh, right? Okay. But they were all on site already for the whole thing. Whereas I think if Cooper and Truman are still figuring it out halfway through Miss Twin Peaks and they realize, oh, we got to get there before they name the winner, they arrive right when Annie's giving her speech. She gives her speech. You get a quick thing of um, Cooper and Truman trying to secure the perimeter or something or f- try and find something. Of course, then they'd find Bobby, but that's <laughs> another issue. But, uh, you, you know, they're doing something busy. Andy also arrives immediately afterwards having realized that there was a, um, a map on the petroglyph. And then he bumps into Lucy, and then it has much more reason for why he's like, sorry, I can't talk right now, Lucy. I'm happy to be a dad, but I gotta mm-hmm. go. So everything's a bit more rushed. Here it just feels so awkward that the, the pacing was all wrong. So I feel like the, yeah, the actual I mean, mechanics of it are okay. It's just, it wasn't it wasn't plotted out. And me. I mean, we don't want to sit here and cast judgment because we're, we're writers, but we're not TV writers. And no. we have no idea what was going on in these rooms. So I, I mean, I want to just caution that we're not like be, trying to be overly critical here. But... But it does feel like that's part of the problem with this episode is that it is that it just doesn't fit with what we would like. Yeah, like you said, in the pacing is yeah. what it is, right? So, um, if there was if there were if there was one thing that we could fix that we could you know, and I'm yeah. sure I'm sure that if you talk to 
the people involved. Oh, yeah, now they'd probably have, be like, yeah, that was a mistake. Or, yeah. Or they'd have better ideas themselves. I'm sure they probably it's did. It's still much better than other episodes. Mm. I think This it's, was probably one of my... I think this and the, the episode immediately after Leland's death are still my two least favorite episodes. You said that about like three or four episodes. Yeah, but now, now having reached this point... These are my two worst. Okay. okay. Well, I don't think you don't think so. No, I don't think it's that bad. I think okay. it's just I think it's it's we it's noticeable because it's sandwiched between two very strong episodes. True enough. So it just by comparison, it feels if you stick this one up against the last episode that Evelyn and Malcolm are in, or up against yeah. Leland's Wake, or you know, you you find that it's. Maybe not quite as... It's not as bad as you think. It's right. just, in my opinion, it and the final the final five minutes of this episode is brilliant, and it does set up wonderfully what we're going to see. So the next episode follows immediately after, and we hope that you will join us for our own journey beyond life and death uh, and into the greatness that is the final episode of Twin Peaks. In the Black Lodge? In, in the, the Red, red room, room? In the Waiting Room? question mark <laughs> wherever it is that, that we end up oh can't wait to take go there for sure yeah if you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation you can like us on facebook at facebook.com slash bickering peaks all one word you can also follow us on twitter that's at bickering peaks Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or a comment. We'd love to hear from you.